Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you all. Wow, to see you all. All right. It is Christmas season, and uh, boy, the stage looks great. We're excited for an awesome Christmas worshiping with you. Just last year, there was only around 200 a service, and uh, we were working through that. It is good to see you gathered here as well as online. Um, God has done great things this year, and we want to celebrate that at our We Get To Night tomorrow night, so we hope you can join us for that. It's always a great time with some snacks and fellowship afterwards. Well, uh, I come out here to tell you we are beginning our Christmas series this Sunday. Um, kind of befitting having the stage look like this that we start here now. So whether you're ready or not, here we go. And uh, we hope this year to make it a little bit special. I'll tell you why. Th this series is really gonna come out of something that God's been working on me about. In fact, as I was prepping for a Christmas series, I was finding myself being drawn to the Lord even more so in my personal devotions, and I'm praying the series Resound um, overflows from that this month. Now, I have to work on the Christmas series before it's Christmas, so I'm listening to Christmas music before the holidays, so I can get in a little bit of a, a, a joyful and triumphant spirit before other people at times, you know, um, because I'm listening to these things, and, and different songs just keep going through your head, and uh, let me do this word resound. It it's, has a threefold meaning. You want to take a shot at what this word means? One aspect it does is to make a noise loud enough that can echo through a place. So, so the noise echoes through a place. The, the second part is to make a particular sound that keeps going over and over. So a particular sound you keep hearing, hearing that again, hearing that again, hearing that again. And the third one, and kind of really want to camp a little bit in this series, is to fame someone's name, to speak much of someone. And, and that resound... Um, I was thinking through, how, how, do I, how do I put this out there in a way where we can em embrace it, in a way I can grow spiritually? And what really began to happen was, I felt led more and more to worship. And, and, and the more I studied worship, the more I read about worship, the more I worked for worship, I ran across the old English word for worship. And so in case you think I spelled something wrong on the screen, worship is the old English word where we get the word worship. Now think about the power of that word, worship. To ascribe someone worth, to bring value to something, to sacrifice for something of great worth. Thought now that is something worth pondering. And so, in my own personal life, in my own devotional life, I was really feeling led to worship the Lord. And I noticed something about worship. It includes servanthood mindsets, so attitudes. It includes uh, ascribing of worth, so praise, outward praise. And there's a third aspect that we're going to dive even deeper into as the month goes along. 
But I wanted something resounding through my ears that I could take to each text in my devotional life. I like to learn in threes, okay? I, I believe in the power of three, okay? And, and, and you've seen this, if, you've not, if you're visiting with us, I often try to do something in threes. And I thought, what could just resound? And, and you're gonna know where I got this from because I was listening to Christmas music at the time, okay? And it wasn't Dominic the donkey or something like that. Have you ever been listening to some of these songs? You're like, what am I even singing, right? What am I, like, fa-la-la? What am I even singing, right? But, but I'm listening to this song, and I go, that's it. So here's my three questions for the series. And it's like a name that to you. You can figure out which one it is, but I'm really not gonna be that cryptic, ready? Our first question is gonna be, do you hear what I hear? Our second question is gonna be, do you see what I see? And our third question is gonna be, do you know what I know? I thought, what, what, where could I go and take that language into the text so that if I read something in scripture, I go, you know what I'm hearing? You got a grandpa just filled with wisdom who talks like that. Everybody's talking and stuff and grandpa goes, you know what I hear in this room? He hears something we don't hear. I hear an attitude, you know, or something like that, right? And so I began to read in my devotions. I'm going, do I hear what I, do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see? Do you know what I know? But I was telling our prayer partners, if you're newer to our church, during every service, we have a group of prayer partners praying throughout the entire service, predominantly for me and you that we would receive this message. We believe where there's preaching and prayer, the spirit moves actively and wonderfully in a church. And so I was talking to them and I said, guys, you know when it really changed for me? When I began to make these questions and put them in the filter of worship, because I've been really sensing in my life a pushback against time with the Lord. You know, we live in a hustle culture. Let me talk to the young people for a minute. Everybody's got a side hustle. Everybody's on Instagram going shop here, shop now. We're all budding entrepreneurs. We're all building our platform. We're all recognized for the amount of followers. All these things that we ascribe worth to. And in a hustle culture, you can sacrifice a lot. And, and, I, and I, I have a lot of those blood veins of ambition that run through me. And I can lean towards that sometimes. And I have sacrificed my physical health at times under the disguise of hard work. Have you ever done that? Guys out there, you ever been working so hard, you know you're actually sacrificing physical health. You know you're doing it to yourself. Ladies, have you ever done this? You actually know what you're doing right now is not that physically good for you, but it doesn't matter. I gotta keep going. That's the Holy Spirit knocking on my heart's door. Hey, Chris, 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 Chris. If you're newer here to the church, my name's Chris. I'm not trying to convict you. What's up with this guy, sweetheart? Chris, you're busy with many things. You're busy with many things. You know what I hear? I hear a lot of stress, I hear a lot of frustration. One thing's needed, come on. 
See, everything changed for me when I took these questions and I was going to the text with, you know what I hear? Do you know what I see? You know what I know based on my study? And I flipped it and I made it God asking me. Chris, do you hear what I hear? There's a lot of stress coming out of you right now. Do you see what I see? You know, in a society of fear and having it pummeled on you every day, you ever ask the Holy Spirit to ask you that question? Hey, you want to know what I see? I'll tell you what I see. I see this, I see this. I've been telling all the grandkids what I see. Do you want to know what I see? What? I see an angry grandmother that's not communicating very well right now. Everything changed for me when I made the question be God to me. Chris, you know what I know? All the stresses, all the anxieties, all the frustrations, all the opinions, all the division, all of it could be hushed if you worship me. Chris, when's the last time you walked in the woods without your cell phone and just looked up at my trees. Do you think it's a good idea to start the day with 45 minutes of the world's news or to start the day in my word? Maybe there's a little bit an easier solution than the next five steps on your Google search. Maybe we take all the attention off of you and put it on me. What a Christmas that would be. To ascribe worship to our heavenly father so that when he looks at our church, we go, do you see what I, do you see what I see? I see a bunch of people singing. And then God goes, yeah, but you wanna know what I hear? Oh, what? I don't like that one. I'm not sure about that. I don't know what. Oh, wait a minute. We didn't come to worship ourselves, I pray. We came to worship our heavenly father. And what's most important is not what we hear, because we can justify a lot of behavior, can't we? It's what he hears. It's not what we see. It's what he sees. And it's sometimes not even what we know. It's what he knows. In fact, he wrote to seven churches in the book of Revelation. And he said, I know what you're doing. And so this Christmas, I thought, wouldn't it be great to open up a text and ask these questions of it? One, what we see, what we hear, and what we know, and then flip it and say, God, what do you see? What do you hear? And what do you know? And take what we know about the God of the universe and implement it into our study. Where could we go? I opened up the gospel of Luke and I thought, let's attack it. And I turned the page and it says, in so much, Dr. Luke writes, that many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. He continues and he says, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have the, delivered them to us, he thinks and says, I too, look at this, he says, I too did this as well. Go to the next verse. It seemed good to me also. Having followed all these things closely, 
for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Have you heard you just reviewed the beginning of Luke chapter one and said, what's going on there? He said, I'm gonna write a narrative. If you were a Greek audience, you would say, oh, this is actually a historic document that Luke is writing for clarification. Second, if you saw eyewitnesses, you would actually see the word that's a little bit different than eyewitness, that's translated eyewitness. And you would see autopso in the Greek or the word we get autopsy. Luke said, I wasn't necessarily this, but I'm taking an autopsy of this account and I'm gonna study it, I'm gonna research it, and I'm gonna compile it and I'm gonna put it all together and I'm gonna give it to you, Theophilus, whether he was a leader or a government authority that they were gonna file this account away or whether he was his publisher. And he said, I'm gonna give it to you and I'm gonna give it to you for a reason, ready? He says this, so that you might have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. My son came home recently, my youngest, and he said, Dad, did you know it's possible that Jesus actually wasn't born on December 25th that we just celebrated that day? And I said, oh, no, my faith is wrecked. <laughs> I got to quit my job. And I turned to him, I said, did you know there's nowhere in the Bible that it says Mary rode on a donkey? And he looked at me. What? Yeah, it does. I said, find it. Oh, oh, could she have? Sure. Are there other accounts that maybe refer to that that have built tradition? You bet. But there's parts of the Christmas story that we just kind of take at face value that we really haven't gone back and reviewed and asked ourselves, do you see what I see? Do you know what I know? Do you hear what I hear? And so I thought, what better to do that than the gospel of Luke? And to read through chapters one and two and listen for what resounds through the Christmas story. For, for God is saying, announce that a little boy is coming. Tell him the star prophecy is here. A little savior is gonna be born and he will be great. He will be holy. And listen to the echo that occurs from those who hear this news and listen for worth ship of a savior. This Christmas, I pray that what resounds through our church is a series that ascribes praise to God and echoes back holiness to him of who it is worth. And so we titled our series, Resound, Echo Holy. Heavenly Father, use this text, use this study in a way that will calm the anxious heart, will still the busy soul, will comfort the ambitious spirit, will focus, will focus the double-minded life, will bend the knee of the proud, will raise the faith of the righteous, and will resound through our halls. Ah, oh, not just words but worship for you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pass me this Christmas month, I'm most likely playing that at volumes too loud in my car.
For one of the things that I decided I would do to help me worship is to play a song that directs all the praise onto God. And in the throne room of heaven, one of the things that the angels do is stand around him and echo, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I don't know about you, but if you're ever in an airplane and you look out, you go, this is a fresh perspective on life. And I wanted to get up into the throne room mentally, if you will, and get a fresh perspective on life. I challenge you, if you want a worship, maybe select a song that brings you to a place where you go, God, you are huge, and I'm small, and I love you. Man. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do three stops today in scripture. We're asking our question. The first question is going to be, do you hear what I hear? And we're going to stop in Jerusalem. Oh, everybody's heard of Jerusalem. And then the second question, we're going to say, do you see what I see? We're going to visit a girl in Nazareth. And we're going to ask, do you see what I see? And then the last stop, we're going to ask, do you know what I know? To a little town called, never thought you'd see that next to Jerusalem. And Nazareth, right? If you're listening online by podcast, we put up Perkasy if you're not familiar with the area. Perkasy if you're from our town. We're going to come on back and say, how does that impact us? How will that impact the way we live? So join me as we kind of fly around scripture today by going to Jerusalem. And we're going to meet there a priest. Now, now look at Herod's temple for a minute. It was built, it was stable, but it was designed off of the original tabernacle that the Israelites had in the midst of them. Have you ever asked the question, why did God ask them to build a tabernacle? Because God likes cool tents? Why did he do that? I'll give you the answer and let's simplify it. He wanted to be close to his people. God wants to be close to his kids. He doesn't want to be far away. He wants to be close. And so he said, design a tabernacle, put a holy of holies in it, and then the Israelites would camp around this in an organized fashion. A group of slaves, incredibly organized, with a pillar of fire coming down onto their camp. Imagine being a neighboring nation, coming over a hill and seeing these people. They're totally different. They're totally set apart. God wanted a tabernacle, not just so he could be close to his people, but so that they could be distinct. I'll tell you what, I'm not sure I want to take on a nation that has a fireball coming down into their camp. Third, he set up a priestly line and priests that served in that tabernacle. And every single piece of furniture had symbolism and had purpose. Why? So the people would learn how to ascribe this awesome God worth-ship. And now we're in the time of Herod. The temple is still standing, as different as it is. There's still a holy place. There are still priests that are going into the temple. And scripture writes, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Zechariah, his name means Yahweh remembers. It'd be good for you to remember that. He was a priest, which means he was set apart and able to go into the courts where the priests would serve. And on top of that, it says he was from the division of Abijah, David. 
He put all the priests as well as the people in the tribes into 24 different divisions. And each year, a division would serve for a one-week specific time at the temple. You're going to see in our text that it was Zechariah's division's time. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Whoa. Okay, Moses, Aaron. Okay, Elizabeth's from that? Yeah, and her name was Elizabeth. Some scholars have translated her name to mean God's covenant. Smoosh their names together, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and you get Yahweh remembers his covenant. Why is that important? They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Were they perfect, you might ask? No. They were blameless, which means when they had sin, they immediately confessed, they immediately offered up sacrifice, they immediately worshipped through sacrifice. And so Luke is setting us up. They were righteous. They were blameless. That's great. A priest from the line of Aaron. But what? What? But they had no child. What? They had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, now, I want to point out two things. When you didn't have a child in that time period, there was tremendous shame with that. You're not carrying on Zechariah's line? There was guilt associated with it for her. She lived for years with this. And on top of that, there was judgment. For many people believed that you were barren because there's sin in your life. And so there was judgment. Anybody, anybody live in the midst of judgment from other people? You got a little bit of Elizabeth in you. You know what it's like to have people judging you for most of your life. And look at this. Luke, Luke, is, Luke is good. I'll tell you what, Luke is good. He didn't say they're old. You know, and both of them were old as dirt. You know? He said they were advanced. Anybody old in here, I want you to turn to that young person and say, I'm not old, I'm advanced. Isn't that good? Remember that. Remember that. Man, Chris, you're looking old. Hold up, guys. I'm looking advanced, right? I'm just leveling up up here, right? So, so, so I want you to understand, they're older folks now. This is past the time where this can happen. And it's with that context, Luke says, there came a time for the hour of incense. Oh, now that hour is very special. It occurs around 3 p.m. And there's always one priest selected by lot to go into the Holy of Holies and offer up incense. And it would be like a, a smoke or a vapor that would go up as it would burn. And those were symbolic. Uh, young people, it was like, almost like you could see the prayers ascending to God. Everything in the tabernacle was symbolic. E even a, a sweet aroma of prayer that Revelation refers to would arise at the hour of incense. And if a priest was allowed to go in, if he was selected by lot, he could only do this one time in his life and then would go to someone else. And so this was the moment of a lifetime. And look what scripture says. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. What a moment. Zechariah got it. How proud must Elizabeth have been of him? This is his time. He's going in. And as he approached and walked up in, something would happen that day that nobody could have ever anticipated. And there appeared to him, Luke says, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until all these things have taken place because you have not believed my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he's seen a vision and he kept making signs of them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home, unable to speak. Familiar account. But do you hear what I hear? As I asked that question of this text, I heard some things that the angel said that caught my attention. One, the angel said, your prayers have been heard. How long has he been praying? How long has he had no answer? And the angel says, it's as if there's a file in heaven that's heard your prayers. Oh, the enemy loves to whisper us those times when we pray and we don't see what we want to see from God that he's not listening, and I hear this, and I go, all our prayers are heard. You know what else I see? They're gonna have a boy, and his name's gonna be John, and this could be better than you could ever imagine. He's gonna be great. It seems sometimes the longer we have to wait, the better Often the gift. Do you hear what I hear? John's going to have the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. While he's inside his mom, he's going to have the Holy Spirit. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go. In the New Testament, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could leave. That's why David prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me when he sinned. 
John the Baptist is going to have the Holy Spirit and he's going to speak in the power of Elijah and he's going to turn the people of Israel towards their God. He's going to walk around and prophesy while the child, the star prophecy, is walking earth. He will be the forerunner. What privilege! But God, what do you hear? And it's as if God says, do you hear what I hear? I hear, how will I know this? One commentator said, a better prayer phase would almost be, do you expect me to believe this? You realize how old we are? You realize how advanced we are? Can I teach you a little something about science, God? Elizabeth is past that time period. That can't happen. Do you hear what I hear? I wonder how much God hears doubt. And I wrote down in my notes, doubt resounds in even the righteous. Sometimes even in God's kids, there's a little doubt in there that he's capable of doing something. I wrote down, doubt resounds when someone sees the impossibility of the situation. This just can't happen. And when we see the impossibility, doubt creeps in. And I wrote down, doubt resounds amongst disappointment. Do you know anybody? Have you ever had this happen to you where you prayed for something, prayed for something, prayed for something, and it did not happen? And your disappointment began to creep into doubt, and the enemy begins to whisper, God's not good. He's not listening. And you love this one? You're all alone. And then how about this one? You're stuck. Worthship will not resound from the lips of the heart that harbors unbelief. You might be singing songs, but God wants your heart. More specifically, Jesus wants your heart. God wants to be close to you. He loves you. Even Jesus stood back. He watched this outward worship and he said in Matthew, oh, oh, you know what they do? They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know what? They hear singing. Oh, yeah, I hear they're far from me. It's just lip service. And that's when he says, in vain do they worship me. They're wasting their time because they teach as doctrine the commandments of men. This is how it should be done. This is the way you should do it. The way the church is doing it now, this is how it should be done. They teach as doctrine the commandments of men. And their hearts are far from me. And they often spend time in lip service going, I don't like this. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want. And Jesus hears that. And it doesn't matter what your pastor hears. It doesn't matter what the person next to you hears. It matters what he hears. Do you hear what I hear? I hear doubt, Zechariah. 
Folks, remember this about worship. If God doesn't like it, it isn't worship. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, conceived. For five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among my people. Do you hear what I hear? I go back to that phrase. I kept going back to that phrase. But they had no child. It's as if Luke's saying, and Zechariah was a priest, and Elizabeth was from the, from the line of Aaron, and they were righteous before God, and they were blameless, but... And, 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 but. You ever do that? We have this, we have this, we have this, we have this, but we don't have this. And so I'm questioning whether God is good. And in those sufferings, and in those disappointments, in those times where we're waiting on God, we complain and we whine. And take it from Zechariah. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And sometimes God will just shut you up himself. Because Zechariah, although he was worshiping in the temple, he was a priest and set apart. He had a but. And I almost called it, young people, I almost called it Zechariah had a big but. But I didn't think that translate well online. Zachariah's butt was big and so was Elizabeth's. Just doesn't work, right? But you get the point, right? Don't take me out of context. What is yours? What is yours? Well, my kids said, Dad, you should call the sermon, How Big Is Your Butt This Christmas? <laughs> and, and, and what is it? It's good to laugh. But also, it's good to ask yourself that question. God, am I allowing something that isn't happening to harbor unbelief in my heart that is preventing me from worship? Let's go to Nazareth. There's a young girl there. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. You would have never probably known about that town if it weren't for someone who was going to come from there. He will be great. To a virgin he went, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. She was betrothed. Young people in here in that time period in the Jewish culture, they would betroth couples together, okay, kind of arrange marriages, and that could start as early as the age of 13. All you middle school girls out there, I know, right? Right? But they would be betrothed, which means the girl would begin to begin to prove herself faithful to her groomsmen. In Judaism, there was tons of imagery towards a bride being prepared and readied for her groom. That also goes into through scripture. But, but once they were betrothed, they were considered married, and, and she's a virgin because they would not have consummated the marriage. If you don't know what that means, that's for your mom and dad on the way home. If she was unfaithful, she could be stoned in that culture for her unfaithfulness. And an angel, Gabriel, comes to her and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled. The word means to tremble inside. Look, I don't, I don't doubt that. 
I get terrified when my kids jump out in front of me at dark. I'm walking through the house. Dad, come on, what's wrong with you? One time I scared my dad. He took a swing at me. I was like in a garage. He's coming home from work. I was like, rah! He's like, stop that. My dad used to work in Philadelphia. He had to be ready. The angel comes out and says, greetings, oh, favorite one. It's incredible, incredible enthusiasm. He knows he's about to share some good news. And how many of you, when you think of an angel, you think of a chubby little kid in a diaper with a harp? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, there's the angels, the cherub. Look at their little cherub. Look at that cherub. I want you to switch that. This is Gabriel, folks. This is Gabriel. What do I mean by that? Angels are put into ranks. They have order. There's a militant aspect to Gabriel. One, you would have the principalities or the angelic realm. Then scripture talks of the cherubim or the four-winged guardians. It was a cherubim that stood outside the Garden of Eden, the guardians. Then you would have the seraphim, the six-winged worshipers. Many believed Lucifer was a seraphim who worship around the throne and cry, holy, holy, holy. But here's the thing, pride can't worship. Pride is a master, it's not a servant. And one of the seraphim decided worship should go to him. And then there's these chief priests, princes. We know they're called chief princes because of Daniel. Daniel talks about the chief princes and he names Gabriel. Now, Gabriel isn't the archangel per se. There's only one archangel, it seems, and his name is Michael. Michael is so powerful, so mighty, so awesome, he will stare down Satan one day and deal with him in the end times. Whoo! And one of those chief princes who doesn't just kneel, although he does, but stands in the presence of God, just came to visit a 13 or 14 year old girl, I'd be trembling too. But Gabriel doesn't seem so worried. Oh, angels are soldiers carrying out God's bidding. They're ministers. They came and ministered to Jesus while he was crying in the garden. They're glorifiers. They echo holy at the throne. Myriads of them, holy, holy, holy. And they are messengers who love to bring great tidings of good news. And they're always so excited and often loud and scare people. So the second thing an angel usually says is, hey, fear not. Just fear not, Mary. And he comes to her, Gabriel. And he said to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name. Here it is. Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? 
And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son and is in the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Do you see what I see? A terrified young lady who has found incredible grace, visited by a chief prince, angelic being, Gabriel, who also spoke in the time of Daniel and is told she will be the mother of the Messiah. How many Jewish moms prayed, let my daughter carry the star prophecy child. And she's the one. Do you see what I see? I wonder what God sees. I wonder if God says, you want to know what I see? I hear, how can this be? And it's not spoken so much from a position of doubt. Her question, how can this be? is like, how are we going to do this? How are you going to do this? You see, I'm a virgin. Shouldn't I have to do something? And Gabriel's like, oh, these humans. We got it. <laughs> Holy Spirit's going to overshadow them. They're slow, Michael. They're slow. They're just like, ah, every time I show up. And then they're like, I don't know how this is going to happen. I swear to you, one day you're going to go to glory. You're going to stand at the throne and go, Oh my word, I was worried my whole life for nothing. I had that power on my side and I was like, I just don't know about the government and stuff. Oh my goodness. Because I know Michael and Gabriel aren't like, oh my word, this 2021, I don't know what to do. God's got this. Fear resounds, I put, even in the righteous. Sometimes we get scared too. Joshua, the great warrior, got scared. Be strong, courageous, don't fear. Fear resounds when it thinks of the ramifications. If this happens and this is gonna happen, have you ever wasted nights on that? If this happens and this could happen and this could happen, I've seen this happen. Fear resounds in ramifications and fear resounds in anticipation of all the responsibility you have to carry. Mary's response Worship. I put worship will only resound from the lips of the heart of a servant of the Lord. Do you know one of the number one words in the Hebrew language for worship is abed? It means servant of. Some of you remember the name from the Old Testament, Abednego? It's the servant of a God. Well, here, abed means servant of. But you know what's great about worship? When you carry it through, you see there's a voluntary aspect to it. Slaves oftentimes were under compulsion to serve their master. But some of them were freed at times and would voluntarily come back to the master and serve them, not under compulsion, but under devotion and love for their master. They referred to this type of slave as a bond servant. How many times have you read in scripture, Peter, 
a bond servant. I am voluntary. I don't have to worship. I get to worship. I am a voluntary servant. Paul, the apostle, a bond servant. Worship will only resound from the lips, not of a master, but of a servant of the Lord. It's the servant that understands there's nothing impossible with God. And look what Mary, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed. Mary lives out one of my favorite verses in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Mary says, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know how you're going to all do it, but I'm in. Read it with this context. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This isn't when you wish upon the star. I hope it works out. This is, I know it's going to work out. And it's the conviction of things not seen. When, when I look at my circumstances, even if there's suffering in the path, even, and I don't know about parents out there, but I tend to handle my sufferings better than my kids' sufferings. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I seem to wear them heavier than even my own. And there's been something that's really been encouraging me about this text. Mary's response to the weight of everything she might see coming is, let it be to me according to whose word? See, I find the problem with my worship is I want everything to be according to my word. And that's where control comes. And that's where anxiety comes. And that's where fear comes. And that's where the devil goes, it's not gonna work out too good. You gotta look down that road. You see what's coming. Hey, whatever comes, whatever comes, whatever we're going through, whether the Lord answers this prayer the way I want him to or not, let it be according to your word. We ask three questions. Do you hear what I hear? And Zachary's response was, how will I know? How am I supposed to believe this? Doubt resounds sometimes even in the righteous. They, they question things because they don't see the, they see the impossibility and not the possibility. And often doubt really resounds when they've gone through a lot of disappointment. When someone's struggling with their faith, I often say, where were you hurt? Because there's disappointment and pain. I've been praying. I've been praying, Chris. And I'm old. No, you're not. You're advanced. I'm advanced, Chris. Well, as an advanced person, you know, sometimes the things we wait for the longest end up being what we really needed and not what we wanted when we started. Do you hear what I hear? Doubt resounds in impossibilities. And I'll tell you what, young people especially hear me because I even got kids going off to universities who claim to be Christian organizations who are casting doubt on the scripture. We need some young people with faith. God is looking for faith. He's not looking for you to figure it all out. Well, you know, I don't know if we can find that. I mean, is it really possible that someone would come out of a well and that the walls came in? We got to figure it out. God wants faith. When he returns, he's looking for faith. And if God says he can do it, let me listen. Listen to Gabriel, not Pastor Chris. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Can we get a church that actually believes that in 2021, that God can do what he wants to do? I got to settle down. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I'm concerned, next generation, 
that you listen to a generation my age preaching doubt into your life about the almighty God of the universe. Let his name be ascribed in this church, whether nowhere else. How will I know? Because nothing's impossible with God. Do you see what I see was our second question. How can this be? Because we can make anything happen. Don't be afraid. I know you think there's ramifications. I know you think there's responsibility, but where there is God, there is his presence and his empowering. And that's why I answer this sermon with you. Know what I know, everyone? Nothing's impossible with God. I would encourage you to do a search even this month on the impossible God verses of scripture. There's more than three, but let me share three of them. Here's one. Jesus looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible. See, I, I just don't know anybody do this. And Jesus would go, you're right. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. There is nothing outside his ability. I mean, we just haven't seen that before. All things. Jeremiah 32, 17. You can listen to your Facebook articles. I'm listening to the prophet Jeremiah. He says this, ah, oh, sovereign Lord, you have made heavens and earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Think about it. When God wants something to happen, you can't stop it. And if God wants it not to happen, you can't make it happen. Anybody feeling small? Here's a third impossible verse. I like this one. I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. God's timing is always perfect. So Chris, 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 wait, 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 what, what, what? I was praying so hard and I wanted her to live so much. Or I've been praying so hard and he just won't turn from his hardened heart. I've been praying so hard for my marriage and we are falling apart. What about during this suffering? What about during the discouragement where it does here? God feels tuned off. You remember Zechariah. There's a file in heaven, child of God. And he hears it. But you have to ask yourself. I give myself three questions when I'm praying something and I'm not seeing the answer I want. Here's one of my questions. Am I asking according to his ability? Do I believe God can do it? Or am I asking according to whether I think he can do it? Do I believe he can do it? Because God says, don't even bother praying if you don't believe. Am I praying this believing or hoping upon a star? Faith, praise with expectation. So, so okay, so it's my fault if it doesn't, stay with me. Am I asking according to his will? See, so often when I pray, I hear young ones, but I really just want Jesus to do this. And he will one day for grandma, if he calls her home to that cancer that's just ravishing her body, and he's going to give her a big hug, young girl, that you keep praying for her every night. But if he doesn't heal her the way you want her to, you got to remember that's his will. And I know it's not your will, but you've got to trust that he is best. Pray according your will, and learn from Mary, young girl, in your bed crying for grandma. Mary said, let it be according to your word. And here's a third one. Am I asking according to his timing? This is where Pastor Chris trips up a lot. I like my timing. His timing is perfect. I umbrella all of those questions with what I call my impossible God statement. 
when I'm praying and asking God for something, that I'm even advancing in life and it's not happening, I have to always ask myself, am I asking God this to make me happy or to make me holy? Am I asking God what I'm currently asking him for, to make me happy or to make me holy? See, true worship is ascribing holiness to God. And ascribing holiness to God, I align with him and I echo it to others. I become set apart in that worship and I I align to his will, not my will. Because I'm taking the focus off of myself and I'm putting it on him. And so I said, Lord, may December be a month of worship. And so I selected a song for the month. Mine's Echo Holy. You can steal it from me and listen to it too. Another thing I decided, I'm going to start my day with something with the Lord, not with the news or pushing an app or a power button on a laptop. I'm going to do that for a month. I'm going to read a book on worship. I'm reading one, How to Worship a King right now. I'm going to spend time in creation. I'm going to actually look at a tree. You know, I haven't in a long time laid underneath a Christmas tree like I did as a little kid, laid under the tree and looked straight up it. You ever do that? I'm doing it tonight. (laughs) I'm always doing stuff. You're going to lay down and look up the tree. My kids are like, oh, my word, he's really going to do it. My son's at college going, he's losing it. I'm going to do something healthy. That's a way to worship, to take care of the temple. I'm going to serve someone. We're going to put an apron on. I got to catch my complaining maybe this month and turn it to praise. When I pray to God, I'm going to stop asking for everything Chris wants. I'm going to speak well of him. How do you feel when someone speaks well of you? How do you feel when your children speak highly of you? Feels good. And the same is for God. He loves to hear us ascribe him worship. I'm going to sing. Put his name up. Thank you. And the child will be called holy. See, life is not about happiness as much as it is about holiness. And holiness doesn't resound with doubt and fear. How could you worship Jesus? Have you ever noticed there's something about that name? I asked that name into my life to be my savior at six years old. There's something about that name. You can say Lord and God at times, but you drop that name, there's like something in the room. Have you ever heard an athlete, like after an interview, he'll say Jesus and it kind of catches your ear, like, whoa, he went there. Jesus. 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 There's just something about that name, isn't there? That name makes me, oh, 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 Jesus. And when we praise that name, God is honored. This Christmas series, we're gonna finish every Sunday morning with a song. You got a lot of things to do this week. We dedicate about an hour and 20 minutes every Sunday morning to the Lord here in church. And we're gonna spend the last section, not with an application of seven things to do, but in worship. And I thought we should sing a song about that name. Help me out if you know it, especially if you're advanced in years, help me. (laughs) Jesus, 
Jesus, Jesus. There's just something. There's just something about that name. Do it again. Jaster, Jesus. Stay with me. I'm a terrible worship leader. Jesus. Like the fragrance. Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. Napoleon, Hitler, name a government leader. They come and go. There's something about that name. It's a beautiful name. It's a wonderful name. And it's a powerful name. And when we ascribe it worship, the cares of this world fall off of us because, child of God, you were made to worship. You were made to ascribe him greatness. And when you do so, all those other things fall away. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We stand together and sing to you now. That beautiful name, the angel Gabriel left heaven and said, call him, Mary. You call him. Call him Jesus. For everyone needs that little boy to live a sinless life and to die on a cross to save them from their sin. It will be a name that's above all other names. Every name will bow to this name. He will be beautiful wonderful, but most importantly, let all the fearful people know he will be powerful. He came the suffering servant. They beat him and killed him and died. But he rose again and he's coming back on a white horse. That's my Jesus. What a beautiful name it is.